0: From the pretty yet prickly Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA, it is time for another edible episode of Chemical-Free Horticultural Hijinks. You bet your garden! the weeds, known collectively as thistle, are a bane to many gardeners. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, and on today's show, I'll reveal two methods of eradicating that thistle Plus, answers to garden questions that were recorded at a wicked event. And maybe a few of your fabulous phone call questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and justifiably germane justifications. So keep your eyes and or ears right here, cats and kittens, because it's all coming up faster than your thistles right after this. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome to a very unusual episode of, what is it, Something Wicked This Way Comes? No, You Bet Your Garden from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media. So why do we have this Shakespeare quote that was used so brilliantly by Ray Bradbury when he wrote a book of the same name? Because today, all of our questions were asked earlier this season at the Wicked Plant Festival, which was held on the grounds just outside of PBS 39 and WLVR right here in Bethlehem, PA. So we thought we would save these wicked questions for Halloween, but we forgot. So now we're doing it kind of before Thanksgiving, which (laughs) I don't know about you guys, but when families get together, it's always a wicked time for me. So I will give out the phone number. You are welcome to call it, 888-492-9444. But we will begin with one of the questions that was asked of me at this event.
1: Hi, my name's Abby. I'm from Whitehall, soon to be in Catasauqua. And my question for Mike is any recommendations for herbs that I can grow outdoors in the summer but then bring in in the winter and kind of how to keep them alive once I actually bring them in in the winter. I want to have fresh herbs to use in my cooking all year round.
0: Great question, Abby. Um, By the way, the two places she mentioned, Whitehall and Catasauqua, or Catty, as we call it up here, are both in Pennsylvania. As are, I believe, all of our questioners, because it was a local event. Now, um, if you are willing to provide the right indoor environment, there's very little in the herb family that you can't grow indoors. But I think timing is also going to be really important here. So let's say you plant your early season herbs in the ground, in a raised bed, you know, whatever your landscape gives you to work with. I'm gonna think those herbs are gonna be viable through August. The benefit of starting your indoor herbs in August, is the soil will be beautifully warm and they will sprout up very quickly. The quicker a seed sprouts, the longer a life the plant is going to have, the healthier it's going to be. So around August, sometime in August, um, get a bunch of containers that have a good size and seed those with your herbs, um, and you'll have had plenty of time to get seed. You don't need plants for this unless the herbs are only available uh, as starts. And then you want to go out, and anybody who's got starts of herbs left in August will pay you to take them away so they can get up the Thanksgiving and Christmas stuff. Have them ready in pots to bring inside. Now, you're going to have to find a place in your house that will have good artificial light unless you have a true solarium or a big bay window that juts out and brings in a lot of sunlight. Note that a bay window that juts out to the north won't work. (laughs) You want a south or east facing um, window jutting out. So after that, it's really your game to lose. Let these plants grow outside until say the first of September, and then rinse them well. Get one of those handheld sprayers and turn the nozzle to its sharpest setting and spray every leaf and run your hands up and down the inside and the outside of the leaves. Then bring it inside. If the surface they're on is delicate, something you don't want to ruin, you may put plant saucers underneath the pot, which has to have good drainage. Um, but never let standing water appear in that saucer. If you get standing water, empty it out because you don't want to overwater the herbs, which even though they're inside, they're going to grow much more slowly than they did outside uh, because any kind of natural light will be diminished. Um, at, at its furthest point, half of the light they would have gotten in midsummer, late spring, whatever. Um, they're not going to get a lot of light naturally. So... I recommend finding a spot where you spend a lot of time and hanging a four-foot shop light. That means the four feet long, four-foot tubes and four of them in the shop light. And keep the tops of the plants close to that fluorescent light. As to what herbs you choose to grow, what herbs do you like? You get to pick. And hopefully you'll have a failure or two because then you'll know not to do that again. And um, I do this with lemon balm. I do it with rosemary. I do it with basil. um, You know, whatever you're into, oregano, marjoram. They should all work well. Don't let them dry out, but don't overwater them. You'll get used to it. Feel feel the pot. And if it feels light, they need water. If it feels heavy, even if you haven't watered for a month, don't water it again. And I recommend plastic pots over terracotta, because even though plastic is a monster in our world, it doesn't wick its moisture into the air and it's much easier to keep plants constantly at the right moisture level in a plastic pot. Okay, good luck to you. You can do this, you can do this.
1: Hi, my name is Donna from Eastern Pennsylvania and I have a question for Mike. I have an umbrella plant and it has aphids on it and I have tried uh, alcohol with the little Q-tips, I have tried neem oil, over and over again, and I cannot get rid of them. So please, tell me how to get them off my plant.
0: Well, I have to assume that this is an indoor plant, and the solution is going to almost necessitate your moving it outside. Pick a nice day, nice, warm, sunny day, roll the plant out. If it's huge, get a little dolly with wheels so you can move it around. You'll never regret that purchase. So move it outside on the morning of this nice sunny day. Then using a garden hose with an adjustable setting, really laser beam, it should hurt your hand um, when you hit it with this beam of water. Get all over the plant from top to bottom, And get underneath the leaves. That is crucially important. And as you're doing this spraying, make sure you're running your hand up and down each individual leaf. When you're done, you want to wipe down the entire pot, especially the inside rim. Um, to catch any that are waiting for you to be done with the hose. And then when you bring it back inside, have ready a package of yellow sticky traps. Aphids are attracted to the color yellow. When you have a yellowish card kind of thing, and it is uh, colored the exact right shade of yellow, which these things are, they've been tested, Um, surround the plants with them. And if you get a huge catch, that's the sign that you need to wait for another nice day. Take the plant outside, spray it again, trying to Make sure you're really getting into all the crotches and the branches and the undersides. Wipe down that rim again and then bring it back inside and put in fresh sticky traps. Now, if you got like six traps circling the plant and you wind up with like two aphids on each, you are... Almost done to done. Um, Make a note of how full or how empty the traps are. Check it weekly. If you see an outburst, then just replace the traps with fresh ones, and that will take care of any eggs that hatched. Don't take it out if it's cold. Um, Don't leave it out for long periods of time in the winter. or you'll get leaf drop when you come back inside. You also don't want to feed this plant over the winter. That encourages aphid growth. So have a light hand with the water. Don't feed it. Invest in sticky trap factories, and all should be well, okay? Boris, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thanks, Mike, how you doing today? I'm just ducky, Boris. (laughs) Ha, 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 ducky's happy. How about you? I'm doing well in Arlington, Virginia. Just outside of Washington, D.C.? Correct. What can we do you for, sir?
1: So I'm trying to get involved in foraging, specifically for mushrooms, but any other edibles that are out there. And I'm trying to figure out how to find experienced foragers so that I don't make any mistakes.
0: Well, I'm going to uh, acknowledge that uh, I was given a heads up about this because it is very specific. It's not the kind of thing I would have off the top of my head. So I did a little research, and it seems like you're in Mushroom Central. Uh, The first (laughs) organization I will mention, I wrote it down on an index card, is the Mycological Association of Washington. Uh, their website is maw, mawdc.org. Um, mycology, of course, is the study of mushrooms and other fungus. And this club has over 600 members. So I'm sure um, there are events and specialists that. Um, work in your area or present in your area and they do it all based on their website Um, they hold classes they have lectures um, they go out on forays where they don't pick anything they just help newcomers identify mushrooms and then they do full-fledged foraging Um, and it was interesting of me to note interesting to me to note, that you can't forage in Rock Creek Park in D.C. Uh, Correct. They really want to leave the plants in there alone. (laughs) They have as much stress as they need already being that close to Washington. Um, Mm -hmm. One other thing that was mentioned in all the sites I found um, was be sure to wear tick-proof clothing when you go out foraging. Mushroom hunters appear to be uh, prime meals for ticks. So if you, you may have heard me talk about a professionally made clothing that's in, impregnated with permethrin, which is a synthetic yep. form of a biological insecticide, actually arachnicide in this case. Um, and you can buy at hunting and fishing stores uh, sprays that you can treat your own clothing. And I tell you, anytime I remember my tick pants and my tick socks, I never come in with a tick. And that's just important to keep hammering into people at this time of year. Uh, Ticks aren't going to go dormant until January, if we're lucky. So, And this is the time of year they want to get a good blood meal to get ready for the winter. So you have to be careful about that. So again, your first contact is going to be the mycological association of Washington and the website is mawdc.org the first um the first thing i found the first hit i got was the dc urban gardeners network which doesn't sound like it's you know very promising Uh, But the D.C. Urban Gardeners Network holds classes in all kinds of foraging, including uh, mushrooms. And, uh, you know, they would be a great contact to find maybe a smaller local group in your Mm -hmm. area. But it's the D.C. Urban Gardeners Network. And I want to go back to the Mycological Association. Because one thing they also do, which I think is critically important, is they teach you how to eat the mushrooms. Is this mushroom safe to eat raw, or does it need to be cooked? What's the best way to cook it? How tasty can you make it be? So they're really doing nose to tail here. They're teaching you how to pick it safely. They're going along picking safe mushrooms and they're going along with you, and then they teach you what to do with it. So I think you'd be in good hands with them, but also check in with the Urban Gardeners Network.
1: Perfect. That sounds like great leads. Thank you, Mike. You've been listening to an Encore presentation of You Bet Your Garden.
0: Welcome back to an extremely unusual episode of You Bet Your Garden from the UniVest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. We are doing something different today. Uh, We had a booth at the Wicked Plant Festival, which was held nearby earlier in the season, and people got to come up and ask me a question via video. So we are answering those video questions today. You got it? And don't forget, we need callers for next week. 888-492-9444. Leave us a message before the tryptophan in your turkey takes over. Hey Mike, it's Mark from Bethlehem. love your show, watch it all the time. Uh, trying to handle my squirrel problem in the backyard they're digging up the yard which isn't the biggest concern, but they are uh, Starting to eat some of my vegetables or last summer my neighbor's fig tree was was devastated Some of the blueberry plants. I know peppermint is a good plant and coffee grinds But anything else you could offer to help me just deter the squirrels as much as possible I don't expect to eliminate them, but anything else you can help me to deter them because they're just digging up everything honestly Thanks very much Ah, yes, evil squirrels, one of our favorite subjects. These long-tailed servants of Satan have nothing to do most of the day. So they look towards the gardens of innocent people and say, how can we drive these wonderful humans insane? And they are very good at it. They're intelligent, they're acrobatic, and they run faster than a dog, a cat, or you chasing them with a broom in your underwear first thing in the morning. So the first thing we do with squirrel problems, do you have bird feeders out? If you do, you are telling the squirrels to come here, and when they get tired of the bird seed, they'll look around and go, hey, look at that tall plant with all those green and red globes on it. I wonder what the homeowner would say if we just took a bite out of each one. Everybody loves blueberries. Uh, Fig trees, uh, come on. They probably originated with figs. So first thing to do is don't have any seed seed feeders out. You want to feed the birds over the winter? Use suet cakes in cages. If your neighbor is putting out seed, either buy them some suet cakes and ask them to turn over, or if they are feeding the squirrels, if they have been taken over by the enemy's mind rays, then uh, you're just going to have to call Lou the Shoe from Philadelphia who takes care of those kind of problems. Um, loves to take people like that for a tour behind the Philadelphia airport and the, in the marshes there so they can see the fishes up close. What What's wrong with that? Anybody feeding squirrels in the area is making your life miserable. If you are feeding squirrels and or birds, seed... You are making yourself miserable. So that's job number one. Okay, the uh, the kind of plants you mentioned, uh, tomato cages, real cages. You get welded wire fencing. Uh, you cut it up into six-foot-long sections. You turn it into a circular thing, <laughs> and then you cut some more of the fencing and put it on top with twist ties so they can't get down there. I mean, if any tomatoes hang out, the evil squirrels are gonna get them, but you're gonna keep most of your harvest intact. And when you need to harvest, just take off the twist ties, harvest your tomatoes, maybe use one of those grabber things like they used to before there were supermarkets, and uh, then twist-tie it back in place. Um, for blueberries, I, oh, oh, and by the way, I'm not sure what you meant by peppermint. Uh, peppermint is a good mouse repellent uh, when you put it in pantries. I, have, I save the cotton from the medicine bottles and I soak it in the essential oil of peppermint, and I put it up where the mice come in, and it is a great deterrent Uh, because it's a closed space. I mean, you close the doors, you open up the doors, you can smell the peppermint. Um, the The mice will then go look elsewhere, so buy another little bottle of peppermint. But for outdoors, any kind of scent is going to dissipate. You could try mulching the ground with an inch of red hot peppers that have been shredded. Now, if, it, if you go into Philadelphia's Chinatown, New York's Chinatown, West Coast Chinatown, you can buy a giant sized pillow. Full of uh, hot peppers for like five ten bucks. So then you just run them through a shredder, run them through a coffee grinder that you're not going to use for coffee anymore, unless you unless you really like the idea of getting that extra jolt in the morning. I should patent this, uh, and you can spread that on the ground all around, unless they have access from trees or fencing. Uh, squirrels will use any kind of tree, any kind of fencing, any kind of structure to get at your food. So doing something on the ground won't deter them. They're never going to touch the ground. Uh, Same with figs. Figs are big trees. They grow a lot each season. And in one sense, they'd be difficult to protect. You could put bird netting over top of them. Uh, but squirrels are very adept at reaching in the holes in the netting and pulling the ripe figs towards them. So I would recommend motion-activated sprinklers. Um, These are easy to find. The prices have come down. The quality has gone up. It is uh, a device that you either stake in the ground or you bang a pipe into the ground and then put the uh, little ground stake Of the motion activated sprinkler on top of that. And then you aim it at the plants you wish to protect. You may need more than one, but one, you turn, uh, you put batteries in them, you set them up, and as soon as something breaks the beam, the machine will throw a cup of cold water at them. In my experience, this is something that squirrels can't get used to. Um, God forbid they turn it into a water park or something. I, you know, I, I don't trust squirrels. Um, but I think a combination of fencing, low-to-the-ground plants surrounded by uh, shredded hot pepper flakes, and motion-activated sprinklers is your best bet against evil squirrels. 888-492-9444. I believe it's Laura, take it away. Hi Mike, we just bought some clematis from a nursery in Berks County and didn't notice the powdery mildew underneath the leaves. I wanna return it, but before I do, can I treat it? Do you really get rid of powdery mildew on the plant? And in the soil, 100%. Well, when you buy a plant at a nursery and you get it home and discover that it's diseased, you don't treat it. You take it right back, demand apologies, and a replacement plant, um, and examine that replacement plant really well. Uh, powdery mildew spreads very easily. So if they had a rack of these clematis um, all together and one of them had mildew, they probably all will. So in the wild, so to speak, when you see powdery mildew on a plant, you want to make sure that it's getting adequate airflow. It can't be up against a wall as much as you'd like to trellis it. Um, They need a lot of airflow, a lot of sun, and should not be watered overhead, especially in the evening. I know a lot of thunderstorms happen uh, just as we're having dinner. Those plants are going to be wet overnight, but that's not our fault. If we go out after dinner and spray the heck out of them, that is our fault. Everything you can do to keep your plants dry and well-ventilated, so to speak, will prevent mildew. Powdery mildew or downy mildew, the home remedy, oddly enough, is milk, cow's milk not almond milk or oat milk or any of that other hippie stuff. Um, Whole milk diluted to 10%. That means a cup of whole milk into a container with nine parts water. And believe it or not, you spray that on the plant early in the morning, and it has been known to get rid of mildew. Now, again, I apologize. Um, I, I don't have any books here. I can't work the computer. So I'm not sure if it's downy or powdery. Um, but maybe you're not sure either. So look up the two diseases. And if you have the one that is milk affected, apparently spraying milk on the plants is a better than any commercial fungicide. Also, if the leaves just look ragged and ugly, get them out of there, prune back any plants that are encroaching on the diseased plant, and practice good sanitation. Rake up any fallen leaves um, that lay on the surface. And if the disease is milk-affected, sure, pour your extra milk uh, on the surface of the soil. Couldn't hurt, Laura. Welcome to You Bet Your Garden.
1: Thanks, Mike. How are you? <laughs> I, I'm great. I'm calling from sunny Seattle, Washington.
0: Okay, so it is sunny right now.
1: Yes, for the moment. <laughs> <laughs> it won't last long. Can
0: you see the mountain?
1: I can see the mountains. Yes,
0: yeah, I face. We face the Olympics. Okay. All right. Well, uh, what can we do you for?
1: Uh, My question is about uh, leaf vacuum mulchers. Mm -hmm. So I've been listening to your podcast for years, um, and you recommend them as a way to improve uh, the garden. And I bought one a few years ago, and every time I try to use it, uh, the leaves are always wet because, as you can imagine, we get a lot of moisture here, and Mm -hmm. nothing ever really dries out in the fall, and it clogs all the time. And I'm, I'm unplugging it and sticking my hand in, which doesn't feel like a good choice, uh, you know, with a blade and all. Um, so I'm wondering if there's a different alternative for those of us who live in uh, moister climates uh, that we can achieve the same effect.
0: Well, Laura, at least you know enough to unplug it before you send your hand down into there. <laughs> I, have, <laughs> uh, I have an intern who helps with my garden. And she carries a variety of sticks in her back pocket to clear the tube. But it is, it's a pain. Do you have a lawn? Uh, we do, yes. Okay. Do you have your own lawn mower? Yes. Is it a bagging mower? It is. And do you treat your lawn with any kind of uh, insecticide or fertilizers?
1: Nope. Um, We don't don't put anything on it but the clippings, for your
0: advice. Okay. So my first suggestion is that you rake as many of your leaves onto the lawn as possible and then mow over them because obviously the lawnmower blades are going to be much sharper and something we don't talk about enough on the show, you're really supposed to get your blades sharpened or replace the blades on your lawnmower every year. They will tear through um, your leaves. And the best um, part of this is now you've got a mixture of mostly shredded, dry leaves with a little bit of nitrogen-rich lawn clippings mixed in. So that combination, whoa, I'm inventing lots of new words today. (laughs) Oh, that combination just gets to me. That combination makes perfect compost. The grass clippings heat things up and the leaves just go with it. And especially in a climate like yours, you would get really good quality compost. Super fast.
1: Bag it after that
0: for what? Or, or move it to the compost bin? Yeah, yeah. You would have your bagging attachment on. You would empty it into your compost bin. Then do you have a driveway? Uh, no, we do not. Okay, as I was going to say, if you did, you could rake some leaves over there and run them over with the lawnmower. But if you— Oh, nope. yeah. If you just—we're
1: we're on a hill, Mike. Okay, we, we have a lot of rocks.
0: <laughs> oh yeah. Well then, you better replace your lawnmower blade every year. So you can keep doing this. uh, The second time around, raise the height on your lawnmower so you're missing the grass but getting the leaves, and that can be your shredded leaf mulch for your gardens.
1: Ah, okay, genius.
0: Yeah, well. Thank you, Mike. That's why I'm here. And the nice thing about (laughs) this is you already got all the stuff. You don't have to go out and buy anything else.
1: Okay, should I give away then my leaf mulcher?
0: No. <laughs> Someone um, in
1: a less wet climate? <laughs>
0: it, it's a plug-in, it's an electrical cord. Yeah, It is, yes. See, uh, all of my stuff is rechargeable now. And when I'm out there shredding leaves, I just pray for the battery to drain so I can go inside and, and get hot cocoa. <laughs> but, jeez, um, I don't know. There may be a time when you wanna use the blower attachment. Yeah, you know, I wouldn't. Okay. I wouldn't get rid of it, um, but I would tell it. It it's not loved much longer. It's uh, you know, it's it's not your favorite tool around the the yard and the landscape. I don't think I have to come up with anything else. I think the lawnmower is the perfect solution.
1: That's a great idea. Thank you so much, Mike. Appreciate it and love your show.
0: Oh, thank you so much. And it's my pleasure. Bye bye have a good one this is 91.3 fm w l v r bethlehem w l v r welcome back to another unusual episode of you bet your garden from the Univest studios at lehigh valley public media in bethlehem pa i am your host and we are in the stretch now cats and kittens After a couple more of your fabulous phone calls or videos recorded earlier this season at the Wicked Plant Festival, we'll get to the question of the week where we tackle thistle. Yes, we do. It's not as powerful as you think it is. And it might be tasty. So, hang around to hear all about that. Earlier in the season, right outside our headquarters here at the old blast furnaces of Bethlehem Steel, a wicked plant festival was held. I was unavailable, but they did a video booth where people could come and record questions to me, and we're getting around to answering them now. Isn't that amazing? Anyway... Here is yet another question that was asked at that booth at the Wicked Plant Festival.
1: Hi, I'm Adam. I'm from Tower City, Pennsylvania. My question for Mike is, what kind of flowers and plants would be great to plant for the bee population? Any types of flowers, plants, and their type of care that's needed for them?
0: Well, the basics here are flowering plants that are not wind pollinated. Uh, you may see bees come to the um, pollen stalks at the top of corn, but mostly they're looking for flowers that are typical, typically shaped and have a scent. Now, what I would like to do with this is encourage you to attract native bees. So, in this case, that means go nuts with native plants. The showier the flower, the more bees and other pollinators it will attract. The more scented the flower, the more bees and pollinators it will attract. Now here's a secret for you all, the walrus was Paul. White flowers in profusion, that is a bank of white flowers all together, um, are the favorite color for bees. I can't explain it, all I can do is quote the research, but plants with white flowers are visited more often than the other colors. Okay, now, if you want to, you know, diversify and, you know, not have a white landscape, um, I'm stretching my brain now. You may hear the popping sounds. I believe blue and various off shades of blue, in which I'll include purple, um, are next in line as are plants with yellow flowers. These are the three color groups that pollinators are most attracted to. And, you know, I also have to add, in every plant catalog, whether you order from that company or not, they will have pollinator gardens. So you can cheat and just pick your plants from there. And again, kids... Uncle Mike always wants to remind you that cheaters always win, so you know you'll find a, a a good selection of named plants in there. But you're you're you know for the bang for the buck, you're going yellow, you're going white, you're going blue, and blue into purple. Um, oddly enough, and too many gardener's dismay, um, uh, bees are not attracted to red flowers. I don't know why it might have something to do with the system that their eyes have in there, Uh, but red flowers are the least attractive to bees. They're also the most attractive to most of us, Um, but that's the way nature works, isn't it? Um, I will add, we also have had great results with sunflowers. There's something about sunflowers that attract all types of pollinators. And then at the end of the run, you get sunflower seeds, whether the tiny seeds that come from ornamental sunflowers or the big oil seeds that come from the true gigantic Russian sunflower. Um, whose head turns to face the sun every day. But, I mean, that's it. Uh, Grow a lot of herbs. Have something in flower all season long. Don't use pesticides. And um, start counting. Start numbering the varieties of bees. And don't just jot down Wednesday bumblebee. Take a good look at that bumblebee. You may get 50 different types visiting your garden. And then you'll have an idea of what flowers attract the most pollinators in your personal garden. As always, it is time for the question of the week, which we're calling Three Ways to Get Even with thistle. Fran in Flower Town, Pennsylvania writes, I have been overwhelmed by Canada thistle since we had to cut down our Norway maple. I tried removing the thistle by cutting it at the base, but this summer's hot weather really got to me, and I couldn't complete the job. I saw your article on how to get rid of thistle and bamboo at the Gardens Alive website. So now I know that I need to cut all of the plants at the base. You also suggested using a 20% acidity grain-based vinegar as a natural herbicide. I would love to replant a tree in this area again, and the sooner the better as I miss the shade. I also have thistle popping up in the front of the house. I dug around the thistle and cut it below the soil level, covered it with a piece of black plastic, and covered the plastic with dirt. It returned in the same spot. It is a horrid weed. I have never seen anything like it. In the back of the house where the tree used to be and where the majority of the thistle is, I have lots of hosta and other beautiful plants, and I don't want them to die from the vinegar. Please help! Well, there are many varieties of thistle. Are you sure you have Canadian thistle? (laughs) Which is actually from Europe, by the way. Control is pretty much the same for all of the thistles, but it's nice to know the actual name of the plant you're fighting so you can curse it properly control method number 1 our famous ropadope thistle spreads by underground roots as well as by seed if you cut it down just as the flowers begin to color up you will starve those roots of a lot of energy over the course of a few years this will greatly weaken the underground parts of this plant But we need to be realistic here. Thistle is not a one-season job. It's going to take time, years, and determination. In the meantime, get one of them ginormous outdoor umbrellas to give you your shade. I found the following sage advice at one of the websites I visited for the piece. Quote, timing of cutting is crucial. This should take place just before the flower bud turns purple, as this is when the maximum reserves from the thistle roots are being used to produce seed. The old saying, they go on, often proves true. Cut a thistle in June, that's a month too soon. Cut a thistle in July, and it will surely die. Tilling the area, of course, would be a huge mistake as it would spread the underground plant parts. But above ground mowing is recommended. Follow the same schedule as above and then mow again at the end of the season. Control method number two, vinegar. Just like she said. I found a great bulletin from the USDA's Agricultural Research Service that strongly supports the use of vinegar as a non-selective herbicide. And the researchers specifically used Canadian thistle as one of their target plants. I quote, The researchers found that 5 and 10% concentrations of vinegar killed the weeds during their first two weeks of life. Supermarket vinegar has been diluted with water to 5% acidity. Specialty horticultural vinegars are acidic in the 8 to 20% range. Note, always use protective eyewear when spraying vinegar and use cardboard or other protective devices to keep the vinegar off of wanted plants. The bulletin continues. Older plants required higher concentrations of vinegar to kill them. At those higher concentrations, vinegar had an 85 to 100% kill rate at all growth stages. (laughs) And get this, cats and kittens, I resume quoting. Canada thistle, one of the most tenacious weeds in the world, proved the most susceptible to vinegar. The 5% concentration had a 100% kill rate of the perennial's top growth. The 20% concentration achieved this in about two hours. Control method number three, eat your enemies. The charming website wildharvest.org covers this topic wonderfully. Again, I quote, you can eat all parts of thistle, root, stem, leaves, flowers, and seeds. And again, quoting the author, my boys used to enjoy taking a tall thistle and with their pen knives on a walk would strip it down to just the stem to remove the prickly leaves. You can then choose to peel the skin of the stem or eat it as is. My boys would chomp on this refreshing, watery, bitter bite until they learned that they could take it home and drop it in sugar, akin to rhubarb stalks. Other ways you can use the stem are to chop it into inch-long pieces and add to salads as a fresh watery, bitter crunch, or add those inch-long pieces of stem to a stir-fry, braising them in soy sauce and oil. This is me again. I would heartily recommend using toasted sesame seed oil for this endeavor. Okay, back to them. Or how about dipping the sticks of stem into batter and then deep frying And dipping it in a sauce. Some thistles can grow five or six feet tall. That's a lot of stem to make use of. The author of this information, who delves into many other uses and recipes for this weed, is a young woman. Well, she sure looks young, even though she says she has three kids, named Diana Hamill Page, or just die to her friends, D.I. There's lots more thistle to relish at her website. Once again, wildharvest.org. Well, that sure was some interesting information about thistles, now, wasn't it? Luckily for you, the question of the week appears in print at the Gardens Alive website. To read it over at your leisure or your leisure, just click the link for the question of the week at our website, which will still and is forever be YouBetYourGarden.org. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden question of the week, and you will always find the latest question of the week at the Gardens Alive website. Yikes! My producer is threatening to plant thistles on my property. If I don't get out of this studio, we must be out of time. But you can call us anytime at 888-492-9444 or send us your email. You're tired. You're poor. You're wretched refuse teeming towards our garden shore at YBYG at WLVT. O-R-G. Please, would it hurt you? Would it kill you? Would it upset your life to include your location in your emails? You could be in Australia, for all we know. You Bet Your Garden is a half-hour public television show, an hour-long public radio show and podcast, all produced and delivered to you weekly from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Our radio show is distributed by PRX, the public radio exchange. You Bet Your Garden was created by Mike McGrath. Mike McGrath was created when a bully kicked sand in his face, and he quickly stopped eating potato chips and bought a copy of the Royal Canadian Air Force Exercise Guide. Note. Do not try to do jumping jacks in a room with a drop ceiling. The living legend of South Street, Ken Queter, is our musical director. Our chief content officer is Yoni Greenbaum. Our angel of the airways is Christine Dempsey. Our sound engineer is the always cheerful Charlie Sarah. Our social media director is Amanda Norfleet. Check out her fine work and send her pictures of your plants so she can post them at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page. I'm leaf shredding Mike McGrath and I'll be shredding leaves and shredding more leaves and shredding even more leaves and hoping that the supercharged rechargeable battery that powers my leaf sucker upper will run out of juice sometime before I see you again next week. What? No! It still has half a charge? I want to go inside!
1: You've been listening to an Encore presentation of You Bet Your Garden.